Coming up on today's show, we're talking about Alan Wake 2. People are apparently mad about video games on iPhones, and Trisha Hirschberger is here. everybody and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I'm one of your hosts, Andrea Renee, joined by Ms. Brittany Brombacher. Hello, Andrea. Hello. I love these pigtails. Thank it's you. very Elvira with it's the black and the blonde. my hair is very dirty, but I appreciate the compliments. You know what? We do what we can to hide it. It's all right. No judgment here. Oh, we're also joined by Trisha Hirschberger. Hello. Thank you for having me. Britt, I think the pigtails are awesome. I'm into the Elvira look. It's firmly spooky season. And I'm so excited to be chatting with you both today about video games and very specific video games. I just dropped a picture in our production chat the last time you were on from 2018. <laughs> we all look like children. This is a Oh my gosh, you. really? I was going to ask what happened since then, but it's I, I have a pretty clear answer what happened. Yeah, since yeah. The last, yeah mm, the last time you were on, we were talking about the Game Award nominees for 2018. <laughs> oh my goodness. First off, one, that's hilarious, but also embarrassing on me for not making sure that we've got you back on the show sooner. I think it's because I've had the pleasure of getting to see you more at events and see you here in person in LA. And we did some hosting together for Twitch when I was still in San Francisco and doing some stuff here. But I guess it just kind of like escaped my mind about getting you on the pod. And so when I saw you at the Alan Wake 2 event, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit, I was like, can you please come on the show and talk about Alan Wake with us? Yes. <laughs> yes, I absolutely can. <laughs> I'm so Wonderful. hyped for this game. It's it's not even funny how hyped I am for Alan Wake 2. We'll talk about everything you guys got to play in a, just a little bit. But for people who aren't familiar, Trisha is an amazing on-camera host, presenter, content creator, and producer, writer. I mean, you wear a ton of different hats. Where would you say you're kind of putting your focus at these days? Still, first and foremost, doing on-camera hosting, I kind of split now between gaming and tech. So kind of the Venn diagram where gaming and tech intersect is my hotspot, if you will. And so I will do gaming and tech hosting. And then I always joke around that on the days I'm not on set, you'll find me on Twitch. And that's because Twitch really, as a content creation platform, is my happy place. I'm very happy as a creator there. I feel like the community that I have there, I connect with in a different way than some of the other communities that you can talk to people online. I play a wide variety of games, pretty much everything that comes out. And I do an indie game showcase every week. So I love supporting indie devs and indie publishers. And really, I feel like, and Britt and Andrea, I'm sure you can relate to this, but when you have jobs where you get to talk about the gaming industry at large or a wide variety of genres of games, it behooves you to have a working knowledge of many games as opposed to being very competitive at one specific title. And so I've structured my Twitch streams in such a way that I can check out as many different games that release as possible, even if it's for like 
six to 10 hours or less just so that I, like I said, I have a working knowledge of it. You know what I mean? So yeah, Twitch and then every other random corner of the internet that covers tech and gaming stuff for the most part. (laughs) And you're just doing such a good job because not only are you doing all these amazing things and kicking so much ass about Adam, you're a mom too. And I gained so much inspiration seeing you crush it and be like, God, yeah, look at her go. There's the future for me after I get past the two and a half year old stage. (laughs) Well, Thank you very much. And also, that will be both of your future as well, because I will say after you get past that two and a half stage, as they become a little more independent, it's sad because you miss when they're dependent on you for everything. But as they become more independent, you start to get more of your own independence back. I definitely remember the three and under phase. And I think both of you are absolutely smashing this game. You're killing Aww, it. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. I think I Same went dark to everybody on else out there that has kids. I know we have a lot of listeners and viewers that are also parents that also have young children and are trying to balance our love of video games and when we get to play and when we get to watch the things we want, but also knowing, hey, the kids always come first. We hear you. We feel you. You're doing a good job. Give yourself a pat on the back, everybody. Yeah. I did that and it just made me burp. <laughs> See, it's, it's all of those months of, of practicing on your baby that, <sighs> that got you ready for this moment. Excellent. <laughs> My best life skill I got from being a mom. Let's go. Exactly. All right, listen, we've got some fun stuff to talk about. And don't worry, we'll put Trisha's links in the show notes. If you guys want to check out all of her channels, you can please do so. I want to say thank you to this month's Patreon producers, Chewie Scottson, Ferris Satia, Justin Foshi, and Punctified. And you can check out our awesome Patreon pledge options at patreon.com slash what's good games. And Brittany, we got some warm and fuzzies in the reviews. We really, really did. So shout out to the man candy, Steph God and Elaine Pep. And so I sent Steph God, I sent your review to the ladies, to Andrea and Reed, because I read it this morning when I was getting the show notes ready. And I was like, oh, my God, it was just one of those, you know, Trisha, what it's like when you get one of those super kind comments that kind of just fuel you for the week. Like, this is the motivation I needed. And it really gets you going. So super sweet review. And then Man Candy, at first I was like, oh, boy, what kind of review is this going to be? Because last week, (laughs) Trisha, we got one that was just like, I love hot gamer milfs, which is like, cool, I'll take it. Well, I'll take it. But the Man Candy's review was really sweet. And their review is, never a Friday goes by when I don't leave my office to find my partner watching this show to start his day. Amazing show, great host, super insightful. Keep doing what you're doing. And so I don't even know if the Man Candy watches our show, but the fact that their partner does and you left a review on their behalf just makes me feel, again, warm and fuzzy. So thank you so much. We appreciate the love, everybody. Thank you. It keeps us going, you know, when people are jerks. Today's show is brought to you by Shopify, but I'll tell you a little bit more about that later because now Brittany and I get to rejoice, and maybe Trisha will as well, that solo mode is finally coming to Sea Thieves, everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I did not expect this. It just kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere. It did. I honestly just gave up on it because it seemed like Rare had been sane, but not openly sane. Like, we're just not interested in making solo mode. So PVE stuff is going to be what it is. And you're just going to have to accept that or not play. And I think a lot of us have been like, well, I guess I'm not 
playing then. I guess we're not. I mean, I did hop in for the Pirates of the Caribbean thing because that was instanced. And oh my, every- John Drake, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you, John Drake. Every time like I play Sea of Thieves, regardless if I get looted or not, I have so much fun. It is just so calming and cathartic. And it holds a very special place in my heart because that's one of the first games that I know all of us as What's Good played together during a, a what was that, E3 or something? E3 2017, oh, our yeah. very first E3 together. Uh-huh. And I think I launched Alexa out of a cannon or she launched me out of a cannon. And I mean, just like the best freaking memories. So I'm thrilled this is happening and it's coming. It does sound like, though, you will have a little bit of nerfs when it comes to rewards you get from doing quests when you're in solo play or you're playing with friends. But you know what? That's fine. I don't play for the rewards. I play for the C's. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Trisha's like, oh my God. (laughs) I play for the Seas. So Trisha, are you into Sea of Thieves? So I predominantly play single player games. It is very hard for me schedule wise more than anything else to coordinate with enough friends to play games with friends. So I have had, I would say maybe five or less total times I have played Sea of Thieves with my friends where like it was coordinated. And I will tell you, we all had a great time. It was a raucous good time on the Seas. But I found myself every single time going, gee, if this had a single player mode, I would actually play this. Like not having to coordinate all these people's schedules. And so I think this is really cool news. The type of gamer I am, though, I can easily see myself getting into this and just, okay, where's my journal? What are my quests? How can I check them off? Let's go do this task. Now let's Mm -hmm. do this task. Now let's do this task. So we'll see if Sea of Thieves is the type of game that lends itself to that. Or if it's really going to be more focused on, yeah, but the quests are one thing, but it's really about the experience you have exploring the world. And, you know, if it's not with other players, then with other NPCs or we'll see it. But I'm excited to see what Rare's got in store for us with a single player Sea of Thieves. It's also wild to me because I feel like they've always said they're not going to do it. So I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I know that people, when reacting to this news, had a range of emotions. And I saw... Some people on my feed excited that this existed, but disappointed in the way that they're handling progression Mm -hmm. and the items and stuff that you're going to be able to earn and how it almost feels like they're nerfing this specific mode compared to the other PvP focused modes. And it's been interesting kind of watching the discourse around that because that's a challenge that I think a lot of people don't stop to think about is how does Rare as a studio balance the offering in a competitive mode versus a non-competitive mode because they definitely can't be equal. But how do you make them so it doesn't like feel bad for the player? Yeah, so so to kind of get into that a little bit, it looks like trade companies will offer less gold and reputation for treasures handed in. And the rank 40 cap means pirate legend status cannot be obtained while in safer seas, nor can voyages on behalf of the Athena's fortune trading company be undertaken. So I think the level cap is 50 in the core Sea of Thieves experience. And yeah, I mean, just reading what it sounds like just from his statement that this is, I think, supposed to be kind of like a baby ass baby mode first step into Sea of Thieves. And the ultimate hope is that this will get folks to sail the high seas, which is, again, what they're calling their main PvP mode. If there continues to grow a gap between the two of them, I can see it being an issue and a bummer. But like I said, honestly, like trading the rewards in and getting money or whatever, honestly, all it's ever really been for me about this game is just getting on that ship and just enjoying the atmosphere and the atmospheric sounds and the sound of the boat creaking and groaning. It's just incredibly calming. But what's not calming is getting your ship blown up and then you lose everything. So... (sighs) 
I just remember getting trolled so hard and griefed in the opening weeks when the game came out. And obviously that was quite a long time ago and the community has changed. And not to say that that still doesn't exist, but it just kind of was not the headspace that I wanted to be in when I played a game. I was like, I don't want to play a game where all I'm doing is getting griefed by people yeah, no. for funsy. And so I stopped playing. And so I definitely want to check it out. I never actually played the pirate stuff, which, Ooh. you know, don't tell John, everybody. I want to check that out too, but you know, it's about when do I now fit this in with everything else I have? Well, this doesn't come until December, so you have a few months. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll just chip away at that backlog and forget about (laughs) Avatar, which is coming out in December, which I'm excited about. But yeah, so good news for people that if you've been holding off, maybe now is the time to check it out. Another interesting piece of news that feels a little bit old, but I wanted to mention it because I'm a big fan of both Ubisoft and of The Division, is that Ubisoft announced The Division 3 with zero fanfare, (laughs) writes the ever snarky Paul Tassi over at Forbes. And I had to, I used his article specifically because I I really enjoy some of Paul's like snarkier Mm -hmm. takes. But I remember when this came out and I was like, wait, Wait, the, with the Division 3? Like the next one? They announced it? When did that happen? So in a press release and a single tweet from the massive account, writes Paul, Ubisoft has announced that Julian Garrity is returning to the universe and currently building a team to start work on the Division 3. Garrity has been directing Ubisoft's Star Wars Outlaws game, but it's unclear if he's simply finished with that role out in 2024 or if he's leaving midway to head the Division 3 like he did with the Division 2. The original division broke records for Ubisoft, selling more copies in 24 hours than any game in the company's history. It was actually one of the biggest launches for a brand new IP ever. The Division 2, despite increasing quality in literally every way, was viewed in the long term at least as something of a disappointment compared to the original. However, all of the games have tried to challenge Destiny for its live service looter throne. I'd argue the Division franchise got the closest. And Paul, I'm with you there. I spent the second most amount of time (laughs) in The Division compared to in Destiny. And I wanted to add in the write-up from IGN, they said Garrity will remain on Star Wars Outlaws through its launch to, quote, ensure the game meets the intended creative vision and provides a great experience for players. This is a quote from Julian Garrity, by the way. There are only a few games that I can genuinely say blew me away the first time I saw them, and Tom Clancy's The Division is one of them. I was immediately hooked, like so many others who are part of our devoted players, community. It's a privilege and an honor to be able to continue to build incredible and unforgettable experiences in this amazing world with the most talented teams around the world. And I can't wait for what's next. Ooh. Okay. So Outlaws isn't coming out until next year. So Correct. is he not hopping over to the division? Uh, whatever. It's in the weeds. I'm just curious. Like, have they started pre-production on Division 3? Which I'm assuming they have. And then he's, whatever. It's fine. The Division Heartland is next in the pipeline for the division, which is slated to come out some point next year as well, which is like their survival shooter kind of spinoff of what they did in the Division 2. And the development of that game is kind of in a weird spot. Yeah. Like, it feels like, it was ready to come out sooner and then they paused it and we don't really have like a clear answer as to like what's going on with that game, which isn't surprising in terms that Ubisoft does that kind of frequently. It's like, oh, we're just going to quietly pull this game backwards and figure out, you know, what we want to change about it. So my guess is that the Division 3 is pretty early in its development stages because they've still been putting out content for the Division 2. Mm. So I don't think that there's any rush for them to do the Division 3, which is, again, another kind of head scratcher as to why they made this announcement when they did and why it's clear that Julian is still on Star Wars. Trisha, 
It looked like you raised your hand. <laughs> yeah, I was doing like a little shrug because what came to my mind was, I wonder if this was the type of announcement they would have made at an E3, but since we had no E3, it just quietly got dropped in a press release. It, it's, yeah, it seems very strange to me um, with as successful as the Division series was overall, whether you can say, you know, maybe the second wasn't as successful as the first or, you know, however the feelings are about it. Overall, I'd argue that the Division is and was and is a very successful series. So it seems like that would be bigger news. And I wanted to ask you, Andrea, as someone for me, I've maybe played a total of two hours ish of any Division game because (laughs) I, I generally try to stay away from any live service games because I just know that I won't have a lot of time to invest into them. So why am I going to start if I'm not going to really be able to get into the meat and potatoes of it? But as someone who has not played a lot of it, Andrea, my question for you is if you were going to like sell me on getting into the series, maybe as Division 3 is like the new hype, maybe now's a good time to jump in or whatever. What would you tell me to be like, you should check this out? Oh, man. First off, What's Good Games has our logo in the Division 2 that you can use to to customize, hey, which is it. cool. That's the selling um, and, point. That's it. <laughs> and Ju- Julian was great to get to get that in. We have an official client. So it's tough because if you're not into first looter shooters, you need to like shooters, third person shooters specifically, because that's what the Division is. It's a third person cover shooter. And you have to like the Tom Clancy aesthetic, right? So this kind of like suspense, spy, thriller, military vibe, right? So that's a big part of it as well. The thing I really loved about my time with The Division and between the two games and probably around 400 hours is that it was a really fun way to explore these two spaces, both New York and Washington, D.C., and the incredible environmental storytelling that the team at Massive put into those games with a bunch of friends. Like You could just like set off and go on a mission and kind of like veer off in different corners on your path with your friends and like you're opening up, you know, garbage cans and looting stuff and then picking up stuff on the ground or listening to a cell phone message. And there's just all these little tidbits of lore kind of sprinkled throughout the world that really kind of color the experience. And that's one of the things I really loved about The Division. And also the way that they incorporated the tech gadgets and the different class systems and how your gear works. It got a little in the weeds in The Division 2, especially after they introduced raids and raid builds and how challenging the RPG mechanic of that was like the min maxing of all of your different stats and mods and stuff got like you needed like a bunch of spreadsheets to manage it. So if that kind of gameplay is not for you, I would say the division is probably not for you, but you can definitely just jump in and do pew pews with your friends and not get into the end game stuff and still have a good time. Yeah, but love yeah, that's that. what I would and, say is I, as I enjoyed it for those reasons I Andrea mentioned, just kind of the looter shooter, like the mindless aspect of it, put it kind of on a lower difficulty. Was, there, was it lower difficulty? I feel like you could change or could you World not? Tiers, World yeah. Tiers, yeah. That's what it was. You're right. And just go through and mosey around. I never played the Division 2 like Andrea did, but I did play and finish the first one. But for some reason, the second one, it just felt more of the same. And I think that's mm-hmm. why I ultimately just burned out on it. So I'm very interested to see what they'll do with the Division 3. I hope there will be some change changes made maybe a different location or something because I don't know I just didn't like Paul was right like it was better in every way but for some reason I just could not get into it yeah Yeah. I don't know if it was like the DC setting or like the lore the story who knows but 
I mean, it was good enough that they're making another one. And I'm yeah. excited about that. What cool, a weird though. way to announce it, though. Generally, you know, you announce this early if you're trying to recruit. But even this with like the Game Awards a few months away, it just it's weird to me. It's a little weird. And I don't yeah. know why I keep well, my finger on it. I think this is specifically a recruitment announcement yeah. because it says that in the the longer blog post on Ubisoft that Julian is actively trying to build a team because Massive already is very busy. This next story, Brittany, I'm very excited to hear your take on. <laughs> okay. Resident Evil 4 Remake's iPhone 15 Pro version will cost $60. App Store listing reveals via IGN. So Capcom quietly revealed how much Resident Evil 4 Remake for iPhone 15 Pro will cost with the mobile-centric version co- retailing for $60. On the App Store page, Resident Evil 4's pricing is tucked away under the in-app purchases section on the game's product listing page. A drop-down showcasing all the in-app purchases appears with the top one including the base game retailing for $59.99 as you can see from a screenshot that I have in front of us along with prices for other in-app purchases available for the game. So the in-app purchases are the weapon upgrade tickets which you can get on any other platform you play Resident Evil 4 and they essentially like let you just upgrade your weapon lickety split but they do cost in-game like real money. You can do it with in-game money but if you want to just buy the macro transactions you can. They're like three bucks seven bucks ten dollars depending on the bundle you want friends anyway so this remake that cost sixty dollars aligns with the debut price for pc and console versions when it was released earlier this year and apple has previously touted that the iphone 15 pro is a smartphone capable of console quality video games thanks to the device's a17 pro chip another thing worth noting is that this purchase will support universal purchase which means if you buy the game for your iphone 15 pro but you also own an ipad or mac that's equipped with an m1 chip or newer you can play across all three of those devices without having to double dip. So that's where we're at. Now, Trisha, you said like your hot spot is technology and gaming and da 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 da. I would love to hear your take on this. Let me preface this with I'm excited that more games are coming to our iFriends out there. I am not an iPhone user. I am Team Android. I've been Team Android for a long time. And you and Rihanna in your green bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, previously to this announcement, should you want to play video games on mobile at all, it's going to look and play a lot nicer, even if you're cloud streaming through Game Pass Ultimate or whatever you're doing, on an Android phone. You've simply got faster refresh rate displays, better quality displays, arguably better heat dissipation, maybe more customization options in your battery life, all things that gamers generally want, whether you're looking at a PC, a console, or mobile. But generally, we've seen a lot of cloud streaming as a way to combat like, hey, maybe the actual hardware on my phone shouldn't be running this natively. And when you say that, it's not just the processing power or the graphical power or the display. It's also the heat dissipation. It's also the battery, how that phone handles charging at the same time when it comes to heat, if you're going to be plugging it in to play. Lots of questions there. So I have been watching with my popcorn how this (laughs) iPhone, we run games natively on the phone now thanks to our amazing processing power how that's going to go in reality like if Mm. people I mean I wouldn't pay $60 to play a game on my phone any phone doesn't matter which phone if I'm gonna pay $60 I want a console or a PC gaming experience and to me that doesn't look like on my phone and if it does for the small amount of times I'll do that I'm going to use Game Pass Ultimate Cloud Streaming to get that device, but mostly just so that I can pick it up and play it and pick up where I left off when I do get back to my PC or console later. So in gaming tech in general, I think more options is better. 
because we all like to game differently. We all have different preferences. The most interesting thing about this to me is that folks who have a Mac as their primary laptop will be able to play Resident Evil 4 Remake. That's exciting. Like, I like that they're doing that. It's also interesting that they're going with the, like, you buy it once from us, you can play it on any hardware, which doesn't that sound familiar? Imitation's the sincerest form of flattery. So it's interesting to see Apple try to get into the gaming market. But that's my take on it, both from a, in general, mobile game perspective and also kind of the wider gaming tech industry at large. But I'm excited to hear what you both think of it as well. I think there's a lot of moving parts to this Mm -hmm. announcement, right? So first, there's no disputing that Apple has the technology and the hardware to run video games. Now, do they have the hardware to run a game like Baldur's Gate 3 versus Resident Evil 4 Remake? Remains to be seen, right? And I'm talking about on the hardware. I'm not talking about cloud streaming. I think we need to make that explicitly clear. Mm -hmm. Like the cloud streaming conversation is completely separate than I'm downloading a game on my phone. I think the sheer size of a lot of video games that are not specifically formatted or created for mobile that are created for PC or console and then ported to phone is going to be an interesting thing to watch because that is forever a problem with mobile users is that if you want to get that big one terabyte hard drive that Apple is offering now on the on the Pro Max, it's going to cost you. I mean, that's a $1,600 phone, right? And we talk all the time about how hard drive space is an ongoing issue for console gamers, right? So that's something that people are going to have to manage as well. You are going to be able to airplay and also connect a 4K display to your iPhone, which is pretty cool. But at that point, what is it for, right? And then I think it gets into the question of if you're going to be gaming at home on your couch with a television, is a phone the best way for you to game when Xbox and PlayStation have offerings that you can get as well. And also like just goes right back to like, well, what about Game Pass and cloud streaming, right? Like, is it, why wouldn't you just buy it there instead? I think Apple is clearly trying to expand their gaming offering. I've really enjoyed what they've been doing with their Apple Arcade program. And I've talked about that before, that I think it's a really fantastic offering for a low price to get this huge library of games that are all microtransaction free. There's no microtransactions. They don't cost anything. They're all part of your subscription. I love that. And I love that for people who want a game on their phone. I mean, people at Apple are seeing that year over year, more and more gamers are playing games on their mobile devices. And Apple wants to get a bigger piece of that pie with their, you know, very lovely 30% that they take from anything sold in the store. And so they're like, how do we get more publishers to put games that aren't these $2.99, $9.99, even $19.99 mobile games on the App Store? We need to make a more powerful system. And now this is clearly like a direction that they're trying to go in. I'm with you, Trisha. I don't really have a desire to play a game like this on my phone yeah, at all. No, On my iPad? Maybe. Maybe on my iPad. But that means I now have to buy another device to do that. Yeah, there is a little blurb in here I should have read. This port does include touch controls. And while this layout is supported, Capcom notes on the game's app store listing that is recommend that players use a controller like the backbone for the best experience. And then also Resident Evil Village is coming out also on these devices for $39.99 in October. Yeah, I mean, like, here's the problem. I think this is just going to be the normal. I think we see that $60 and it's quite a big sticker shock because, I mean, I'm a very, very casual iPhone game 
player person. And so when I see a price for $60, my knee-jerk reaction is like, oh my god, they're out of their mind. And it's like, no, like, you know, this is the same game. Capcom deserves to get, you know, their fair share. They should not charge less for this game. That does not make any sense to me. But it's weird to think that this is probably where we're going to be going, right? As technology advances. And Trish, I know you know more about this than I do. Because, like, when it comes to the tech and the guts of stuff, it just goes way over my head. But, you know, maybe we'll start seeing... Do you, okay, actually, let me ask you this. Do you think we'll see a future where we see day and date AAA releases on iPhones? It's tough because, as Andrea brought up, storage is a major concern. Like, games that are designed for mobile first are generally light on the storage requirements. They're light on the processing requirements, not because the processor can't do it, but because what else is your phone doing at the same time? Is it charging at the same time? Is it getting hot at the same time? How long is that battery going to last if you're maxing out that phone's full capabilities? Like, I just don't know that taking something like Resident Evil 4, if you're going to have an optimal experience on the phone, even if you have an additional controller, even if you have it airstreamed to a larger display, like... A console could do it so much better and cheaper. Now, of course, there is the idea of, but I only have to buy one thing and it does my everything. And that's a nice idea. But what if you get a phone call while you're playing and that was a phone call you wanted to take? So do not disturb was maybe not the best option for you. Like, does it make sense to have one device that does everything for you? I don't know. I think the games that are designed for mobile first can be very successful on mobile given the hardware limitations of a phone. Now, maybe we will progress into a future where phones are equally as powerful to run games natively as your gaming PC or your console. But I still think we're a ways off despite what Apple would like us to believe. I would just point to Diablo Immortal. And when that game came out, there was a lot of people upset that it was a huge download, that it absolutely made your phone overheat, it drained your battery life. And that, to me, indicates that the builds of these games need to be expertly optimized for iPhone architecture. And it turns out Apple doesn't exactly make that easy unless you're developing the game specifically for them. And these publishers aren't, right? Like, why would they develop purely for Apple products first unless Apple was monetarily incentivizing them to do so, right? Like, this is a branded deal that Apple is paying for them to because they're focused on the main build of their game that's probably going to go out to PC and console or just one or the other. And then it will eventually probably come to handhelds and then to mobile devices. So I don't think that this is going to be as widespread in the next, honestly, five years as people are making it out to be. It's part of our inevitable digital march to the future of where game development and game playing is going. But I think right now, this is definitely like an early adopter thing, which also people who are early adopters have all of these devices. They have probably a console. They probably have a gaming PC. If you can afford an iPhone 15 Pro Max or even just the Pro, you probably also have multiple. You probably have a Steam Deck. You probably have a switch right like so you, this is not your only gaming device so the idea that someone's buying a high-powered apple phone and that's the only device that they have to play games on is absolutely ludicrous <laughs> <So>. <laughs> anyway that's just my take on it as well but i think it's fun to kind of armchair quarterback like <laughs> you know is it worth the cost or not i mean that's up to you to decide how much do you think the game is worth to you 10 you know? billion dollars andrea billion dollars <laughs> Anywho, definitely going to have to try that in the wild. Oh, yeah. I am going to be getting that phone, by the way. I'm very excited there about it. Go. Just haven't decided when I'm going to be ready to pay for that down payment. <laughs> <laughs> so expensive. Thank God for leases. 
Okay, in case you missed it, everybody, some Star Wars awesomeness happened. This is where I do my obligatory take a shot. My husband, John Drake, works for Disney, everybody. Cal Kestis actor Cameron Monaghan said that he is currently working on a third Star Wars Jedi game. Dun, dun, dun. During a panel at Ocala Comic Con? What is that? No Ocala? Where is that? I feel like I gotta I'll go to Google now. while you continue, my To dear. the Google machine. He said, we're working on a third and we're in the process of doing that right now. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to disclose that. But I feel <laughs> like it was actually disclosed during an EA investor call. Oh, was it? Okay, so that... That Respawn was working on a third one? Ocala. I'd have to double check that. Ocala, Florida. Florida. There you go. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I remember that coming up during one of the investor calls, mm. but I'd have to double check. That's a big undertaking. And there have been some conversations, but hopefully when all things are said and done, we'll be able to go in and make something really cool. I loved the Jedi Survivor games, or you know what I mean. Yes. Jedi so Survivor good. was the latest one. <laughs> Fallen Order was the first one. Yes. Whatever the third one's going to be, I'm excited for it. Let's go. Woo, and um, we got Cameron Monaghan's on it. Yay. Yes, I mean, it'd be weird if they didn't It would be have Cal Kestis in it, right? Yeah, it totally would be. It'd kind of be like like a complete change of direction based off, you know, no spoilers, what happens at the end of Jedi Survivor. It's kind of a big cliffhanger. (laughs) So so I'm not surprised that they're making another one. They very much teed it up like there's more coming. (laughs) So this isn't a big surprise. No. Great. Excellent. Not at all. Great. Like, to me, a studio like Respawn, who's owned now by EA, and that game did very well and was pretty much universally praised, it's like, why would they not keep Maggie more? Do you not like, like money, keep, friends? EA loves money. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> but then again, who doesn't? Am I right? Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> who doesn't love you're money? Wrong. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad if I had more money. That sounds great. Sure. And Star Wars Eclipse is still alive. Did you guys remember this? So this was actually a really boss trailer that got debuted at the Game Awards. And apparently during an interview with IGN at Tokyo Game Show, which happened last week, Lisa Pensy, who is the vice president of marketing for Quantic Dream, described development as, quote, simmering. (laughs) Can I say it still exists? Because it exists. (laughs) It's just not ready. It's simmering. I okay, just love that <laughs> update so much. <laughs> it's very picturesque. I just imagine like this burly layer of like, I don't know, the Star Wars monsters and aliens and shit. Because like Star Wars and my whatever. And it's like, that's the game. That's how they make video games is they put it all into an AI bo- pot and it just simmers. And then in a few years, we'll have it. It's going to be oh, great. Yeah. I mean, that trailer, I'll pull it up to remind you how cool that trailer was. I'm not surprised that this game is going to take a long time. Mm -hmm. To me, that trailer looks like a highly polished piece of marketing that is meant to be like, hey, we want people off of our back and we don't want it to leak that we're making this thing. But this game is not going to be ready for like five years. That's great. Please take your time. That's 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 what I think of when I saw when I saw this trailer. Twenty twenty four already looks. I was mad. like, "Yo, that's dope," but that's not that's not coming out anytime soon. Let's, you know, sometimes you it's there just to whet your appetite a little. They just want to build some hype and maybe let the hype simmer along with the game development. I mean, process. look at us. We got one little quote, and here we are talking about it. Andrea's showing the trailer like it worked. We're- <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> hype, 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 hype. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm all about a Star Wars game give me all of the war star games well this was the one that's rumored to be set in the era of the high republic Mm -hmm. which really hasn't been 
explored a lot in video games, if really at all. I believe we had Maud on to talk about this after this announcement happened. Nice. One Maud Garrett, everybody. And what I thought, Star Wars and aficionado. she also confirmed, quote, there's no game over. Anyone can die. Anything can happen. And the story sort of continues so that those signatures are still there. But what we've been doing is even more ramping up our expertise in the gameplay arena. Anyway, I just think that's really cool. You know, to make a game that has all those branchy narratives and multiple characters where you can't just get a game over and the game just adapts to what you do. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brittany, we could keep talking about this really nice trailer for a game that's coming out maybe in like 2028. But <laughs> instead, <laughs> I thought maybe you'd want to talk about one of your, you know, husbandos. I mean, listen, it wouldn't be a What's Good Games podcast if I couldn't mention <laughs> my husband's at least once a week. And I don't know how I missed this unless it just hadn't been announced last week. But Like a Dragon, the man who erased his name is coming to Game Pass when it launches on November 9th. I did not know that. That's a hell of a get. And not only that, Like a Dragon is also coming to Game Pass later this year. I'm telling you, so I have to just give a shout out to my games, my Yakuza husbands. Trisha, I don't know if you've ever played these games before. Oh, I did. Oh, 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 yes. Oh, yes. Hold on. I'm going to check my schedule and I can tell you exactly when because I probably covered these games on the Indie Game Showcase. Oh, heck yeah. Let's Um, go. Is RGG an indie game studio? I mean, mm-hmm. you want to get no, they're published by Sega. Yeah, 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 <laughs> well, okay, but yes, everyone has a different line for what is an indie game. But yeah. I, I try to not take publishers into consideration when figuring out if a studio is an indie studio. Because sometimes you have something beautiful like a child of light that is certainly still an indie game, even though picked up by a larger publisher, you know, like or the EA Originals or ID at Xbox. I don't think that nullifies its status as an indie still, even if it Okay, has that's help. fair. That's fair. That's fair. And listen, any more screen time you can give my friends at RGG, like, we can call it whatever the hell you want, baby. We right. Can call RGG an iPhone developer. I don't care. <laughs> I'm a little fluid with that. But no, I mean, the fact that Like a Dragon Engine's coming to Game Pass later this year, that's awesome. Heck yeah. And Man Here Race his name, which is what everyone's going to want to play November 9th so they can get ready for Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, which comes out in January. I can't. Jan- 2024 is already a wild year. Also, I just want to give a shout out because Octopath Travel. Traveler 2 is also coming to Game Pass later this year. And you gotta love to see that Xbox and Square Enix magic. You know, they're making that magical, sweet, sweet, magical love. We got Final Fantasy 14 <laughs> coming eventually. Now we got Octopath Traveler 2. Who knows at this rate, maybe Final Fantasy 9 Remake will be an Xbox exclusive. Who could say? You just keep putting it out there into the universe, Britt. Someday. It will come back to you. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming like a fucking bullet train, baby. I can tell. I feel it. I tell everyone this in my loins. Don't get me started, Andrea Renee. Final Fantasy IX Remake okay. is official and it's happening. Now I'm throwing shit in my office because I'm feeling so passionate about this. And when God it does, when it does happen and it does become a thing, we will play this clip and then I will Titus, Titus, whatever you want to freaking call him from Final I will laugh in your face. Ha! 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 And I'll have my moment. And I'll have my moment. Best. Who calls him Titus? <laughs> I do. Just checking. me. Just checking. I called him Titus. Well, because Titus. I'm pretty sure there's other people who call him Titus. Okay, because Titus sounds like tight ass, and I could never get past that. <laughs> I would have never thought of that, but Welcome now I to feel my like. Brain. Now you can't unhear forward, it. Yeah. It will always be tight ass. Thank you for that. You're bit. welcome. I mean, see, that's why I couldn't. I couldn't. I was too embarrassed for him to call him that. Uh, oh boy! Well, and right. this is why you come to what's good games. Mm-hmm. 
for the funny stuff. Okay, that's going to do it for our news for this week. When we come back, we're talking about their hands-on time with Alan Wake, too. Stick with us. We'll be right back. everybody it's the second segment of the what's good games podcast where we talk about what we've been playing and any preview events we have been to but before we do that i want to let you know this episode of what's good games is brought to you by this fantastic sponsor this episode of what's good games is brought to you by shopify hear that sound it's the sound of a sale you're missing out on because you're not selling on shopify but what does it sound like with shopify ah that's much better So start selling with Shopify today. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or maybe you're IPO ready, go you. Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person POS system, or maybe you're offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, well, you're covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What we love about Shopify here on What's Good Games is that it allowed us to make some really cool custom merch and get it into the hands of our awesome patrons with as little pain as possible. So whether your business is super small or maybe you have a thousand employees, which is awesome, Shopify is going to help you take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States and Shopify is truly a global force powering Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs entrepreneurs of every size across 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash what's good, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash what's good to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash what's good. All right, ladies, the time has come for us to talk about Alan Wake 2. Alan Wake 2. <laughs> okay, so disclaimer first. <laughs> if you guys saw my Twitter page, you maybe saw that I had the amazing opportunity to host a really cool panel at the Alan Wake 2 event. So thank you to Remedy and Epic Games for inviting me to come be a part of the event, which was super cool. So it meant that I didn't actually get to play the game because I was working on the panel, which was awesome, which we'll talk about in a second. But I just wanted to let everybody know that I officially worked on something for the game. So if you think that that's going to color your opinion of my thoughts, just want to put that disclaimer out there for you. Um, And thank you again to Remedy and Epic for inviting all of us to the event. It was a very cool event that I am 8-Bit worked with Epic and Remedy to put on. Like one of the coolest video game previews I've been to in a while. Hands down. Just the ambiance and the surrounding decorations. and Even the spot where we got to play the demo. We were all in these little mini cubicle wall things and there's notes pinned to the walls. It was just really cool. And then they had these Cult of the 
tree members walking around in their deer masks and big robes and just lurking. I don't even know they were there half the time. Trisha, I'm assuming they lurked behind you too. A oh, lot. I think they <laughs> targeted me. You know how sometimes like you go through yeah. Halloween horror nights or a haunted house and they target who the scaredy cats are? Yeah. I think those oh, cultists yeah. had me eyed up for a while because almost every time they came over, I jumped out of my seat. It was awesome. Like that's exactly what I wanted from that preview event. And Andrea, you totally killed it hosting that panel. Oh, thank you. It was so I have some photos here from the event space that they sent over. So I'm just kind of scrolling through those over at youtube.com slash what's good games if you want to check them out. But yeah, like the whole space was awesome. So awesome. It was really neat. Yeah, we should talk a little bit about Alan Wake because I'm realizing that this game kind of has a... An interesting first game in the sense that if you don't know what's happening, I think it's going to be very, very, very confusing when you start playing the sequel. I mean, I played the first one and I'm still like trying to wrap my head around it. (laughs) It's a lot. Okay, Trisha, have you played the first Alan Wake? Can't remember. Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. Excellent. So feel free to chime in. So the best way I could describe it is Alan Wake went missing in 2010 after him and his wife, Alice, went on a vacation to the Pacific Northwest. Alan Wake is a best-selling author. His shtick is crime novel, crime fiction. He's from New York city and he went there with his wife to try to get some R&R and he was feeling you know some of that creator burnout as we like to call it in the year 2023 his wife thought maybe he could get some inspiration while they went to the Pacific Northwest specifically a place called Bright Falls and essentially what's up happening is there's this supernatural dark presence that lives under a lake we'll just leave it at that and essentially he started writing a book and the dark presence influenced his book and he banished it away but in doing so he had to write a book that came true and now he's trapped in the dark place but his wife is not there anymore and now he's in the dark place and he's trying to write a book to let himself escape from the dark place Trisha does that like kind of sum it up I think you did a great job <laughs> okay right? yes thank you. um so the whole thing if you've not played an Alan Wake game before The whole thing with the Alan Wake games is you're constantly left as the player, whether you're playing as Alan or somebody else in the story, trying to figure out what is real and what is not. And what does real mean? Is real the world that exists in our fictional writings? Is real what we're perceiving with our senses? Or is real some other objectionable truth? Or if that's even a thing, is there a real truth? So that's kind of the mind space you're playing in. Like if you're someone who is a fan of like Black Mirror or X-Files or any of that content where you're examining maybe real world things that never had a solution figured out, that's like the itch that this scratches. If you're playing Alan Wake, if you're really, if you're in Remedy Games controlled universe at all with Control, Control introduced us to this idea of an AWE or an altered world event, which is kind of like, here are these things that happen that we may not have an explanation for necessarily. So let's figure it out. And that's the headspace you exist. It's a in, whole in it's a Alan whole Wick. ass thing. And if you dig really deep <laughs> into it, it's really fascinating. But again, it's even like way too much for me, which is why I love talking to Danny. Y'all know Danny from Gamer Take Radio because he yes. gets it. It's way too much. Yes, and you just were on Gamer Tag Radio this week. Yeah, and he and I just nerded out for 45 minutes. I mean, it just went from zero to 100 into all the nerding out, no fluff, (laughs) no nothing. He was like, okay, we're just going to go. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And we did, and it was fantastic. Lots of fun. Okay, anyway, so Alan Wake 2. This is obviously developed by Remedy, published by Epic. It's coming out October 27th, so we don't have that long to wait. It's coming to PC on the Epic Game Store, PS5 and Xbox X and S. Digital only, the standard edition 
edition is $49.99, which kind of blows my mind, and the digital deluxe is $69.99. The fact that this game is $49.99 just based off of the preview alone is like, how? How? Well, it's wild. Wild. Absolutely wild. Okay, so that's kind of the premise of Alan Wake, is he is now in the dark place. And the dark place, for those of you who don't know, it's this shifting reality that reacts to Alan's subconscious. And basically whatever he thinks of and whatever's going on, it, it like reacts to that and forms and shapes. And which is why it looks like this crazy, weird neon New York City. Anyway, but the thing is, is that you have two characters this time around, two protagonists. You have Saga Anderson and you have Alan Wake. So during this demo, we had the opportunity to play both of the demos. Each, I think Trish was like 90 minutes each, right? And there's an objective, a start, middle, and end to each demo. Unfortunately, I got very sidetracked, surprising no one in the Saga Anderson demo to the point where I had to have someone come over and tell me to get back on track because I spent too much time exploring the woods and finding the puzzles and the optional content. Whoops. But Trisha, let's start with Saga's campaign because I feel like that one is much easier to kind of wrap your head around. You want to kick it off? Yeah, I mean, Saga's campaign, we were in the area of Watery and really you're kind of thrust right into, I know this is what we were just talking about on like a broader spectrum, but you're thrust right into a fact versus fiction situation where Saga is meeting some residents from this town. I don't know if we've said this, but Saga... She's a detective. Mm -hmm. So she's there investigating some stuff that's gone on. And she meets people that are like, Saga, welcome back. We've kept your trailer for you. And she's like, what? What? Because she doesn't remember ever living there or these people who all seem to know her. So we're thrust right into, like I said, this kind of fact versus fiction situation where we need to figure out how these people have formulated their reality, how it's different from our reality, but it's constantly making you as the protagonist question, are these things that happened that I just can't remember? And if so, why? Was there something that happened that I can't remember? And just being put in that headspace is very creepy in general. So it immediately sets the tone for a game that's probably going to freak you out. I can see right now we're kind of looking at Saga in the sauna. (laughs) Saga in the sauna. And this is actually one of the parts that I really loved about Saga's part of the campaign is, you know, Remedy has said that Resident Evil obviously is a big inspiration. This is their first attempt at true, air quotes here, survival horror. And what I love about the beginning of this is that, yeah, you are in watery and all this atmospheric storytelling. There's all these buildings you can go into and NPCs you can talk to, all completely optional. But it really does set the tone for what this game is. And what I love about it as someone who lives in the Pacific Northwest is it's completely nailed. It's all like dark and gray and gloomy, but even the sounds and the trees and the fog and just even the like little rundown buildings with like three people in it. I'm like, yeah, this, this feels like home, man. And I love that you could just take your sweet time and explore. And it really does lend itself again to that environmental storytelling that Remedy, I think, has absolutely perfected. But they also, like you said earlier, Trisha, have their mind fuckery aspect of it, too. It's not just like, <laughs> oh, there's zombies like a Resident Evil thing. But it's like, oh, there's something way more meta going on right here. And so I oh, love yes. that part. So, yeah, basically you run into some brothers like you were mentioning. And it turns out that apparently Saga has lived here her whole life. But she's like, this is weird. Everyone keeps acting like they know me, but they don't. This is, And then you can transport to her mind 
mind place. And this is kind of what really sets this game apart. Is Alan Wake has his writer's room and Saga has her mind place. So with the instant press of a button, you transport there. Now, this is not stop time. So if you're in the middle of combat and you transport to your mind place, she's just going to like die in the game, but like in her head or some shit. Like, don't do it. It's not it's not a pause screen. And when she's here, she's she meets she meets these brothers. And again, brothers that think they know her. She profiles them. And what that allows her to do is it allows her to get into their head. And after doing that and seeing some things that play out, she thinks, okay, well, the best thing for me to do is just play along because she's trying to solve a mystery here. And she's like, if I just blend in, maybe I can get my answers. So they say, okay, yeah, we have the key to your trailer because that's what she's trying to get to. But you have to go to Coffee World to get it because we left a spare set of keys in the gift shop. And so then this is kind of when it starts getting really spooky because then you have to take this wooded (laughs) path to Coffee World, which is this like theme park that's based off of like coffee because why not? I mean, it makes sense. It's Washington. Because why not? But yes, also (laughs) dilapidated, like going through the woods that has spooky things to get to the rundown theme park is like such pure nightmare fuel. It's great. Oh, and it's so crazy too, because when you're talking to the brothers, you can see the coffee world in the distance and it looks like things are moving and working fine. You know, it looks like people, I mean, I don't know if you can actually see people, but it looks like the park is up and running. And then yes, as you start going through the woods, everything just gets all messed up. So as you're going through the woods, this is when you've had, we had our first encounter with combat. And so you have the Taken. And the best way to describe these folks is they look like people or they maybe they formerly were people and they have this darkness shield on them. And this was the whole shit from the first Alan Wake game is you have to use a source of light or, in, you know, Alan's case, a flashlight and Saga uses a flashlight to destroy their darkness shield. So you hold your flashlight, you boost it. And of course, by boosting, you drain the battery. So there's a battery management system there. You destroy the shield and then you can shoot them. I think at our disposal, Trisha, we had a handgun, shotgun, and then I eventually locked a crossbow from a puzzle which was like super fun but I won't talk too much about that and then yeah I mean the combat felt quick it was fluid much it wasn't clunky or anything like the first one was I've had a lot of questions about that and the taken this time around are so freaking creepy Trisha were you surprised by how fast they moved I was surprised by how fast they moved and also you know for those of you who are feeling like the first Alan Wake's combat is clunky I think there is a very intentional design to that in terms of needing to go through a multiple step process to take down the Taken you need to not only touch them with a source of light but touch them in a certain way with a source of light before you can do any kind of physical damage to them and eliminate the enemy so that part of that is still there however I'd say what Remedy learned uh, in the combat of control you can definitely feel incorporated here too so it does feel a little smoother when you're navigating but the gameplay that we're looking at right now in Coffee World with Saga, you're in a confined space and that's intentional. You're not meant to be able to run away or move. You need to figure out very specifically (laughs) how to take down these series of enemies. And I am woman enough to admit, Britt, I died a lot. I died so many times there in Coffee World. That's that survival horror aspect of it coming into play, right? Versus the more action-focused roots that Alan Wake, the original, had. And Mm -hmm. it was interesting hearing Sam Lake talk about that specifically during the panel that we had about how it was a really big challenge for them as a studio 
to go in this direction. At surface level, it's like, oh, it'll be easier to do a less action-focused game. And he's like, actually, it ended up being much harder. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, because the take in this time, too, you know, as your saga, they're coming from you all directions. And they have that darkness shield that you have to dissipate. And they move real fast. Like, they will just glitch right in front of you or right behind you. And then it's like, oh, crap. Like, which one do I take care of first? I saw, like, a dark wolf. Like, there was a wolf, a dog. I don't know if you ran into it, Trisha. That was really fast and hard to kill, too. They're just, the enemies are just more twitchy and gurgly. And their voices are all, like, and all distorted. And it's just far, far more disturbing than they were in the first. So, if you love your survival horror, I feel like Saga's campaign you're just gonna get so much of it and that's I'm very very excited for that part of it but then you get to Alan Wake's demo which is room 665 and this is when you kind of start getting that remedy mindfuckery that I call it the psychological mm-hmm. horror if you will it's still survival horror but with that that sprinkle of my mind is blown and can't quite handle what's happening yes I actually found the uh, portion that we got to sample of Alan's story more terrifying than sagas in the gameplay because of that. Because as you're trying to figure it out, it it really does mess with your head. So yeah, we got to play a little bit of Room 665 and get introduced to much like Saga has the mind place, Alan has the writer's room. And kind of taking from the first game in that we see running themes of fiction becoming reality, in the writer's room, we get to play with that a little bit as the player. We get to rewrite the story how we'd like in the writer's room, taking different events that unfold and putting them in different areas that, you know, to me, I don't know if it felt like this to you, but it it almost felt a little bit like the game of Clue. Like we're taking Mm -hmm. the location and we're taking what happened and combining them in different ways to tell different parts of this story. And when you do that in the writer's room, Alan's reality changes around him. And that will progress the game or sometimes just introduce you to fun Easter eggs or bits of lore or just inform the world. But overall, I found it super cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just something about a hotel setting in general that is just terrifying in a video game. And I love it. It's one of the best settings for horror, I think. But Mm -hmm. yeah, what's really cool about it, what you were talking about is the rewriting. So essentially, Alan has to, quote, rewrite reality. So that's the word that they're using to learn the truth about what happened. And it's really cool how it works. So you'll walk into a room and this is maybe where the rehearsal took place for this play that's happening in this hotel. I'll just leave it really vague. And then as the player, you get this big splash screen and it says new scene rehearsal. And then you can go to Alan's writing room. And now you can play around with that scene. And how you play around with it is adding things that are called plots elements, I think is what the actual word is they're using. Yeah, scene elements, excuse me. And so you'll discover scene elements as you were exploring this hotel. So one of the elements, for example, was one called Haunted. And I'm not going to get too much in the nitty gritty and how you discover this. You'll figure it out as you play. But essentially, you can now add the haunted scene elements to the rehearsal scene itself. And now the room that where you walked in, which was just a regular rehearsal room, you add the haunted element to it. Now the room is all messed up. There are red lights everywhere. There's blood everywhere. The whole room is just totally different. And it happens right before your eyes too, which is really cool. You have this really cool on-screen, kind of like see-through transparent image of Alan typing on his typewriter and then bam, it's changed. And I think I found maybe three or four different scene elements while I was playing and every time you 
did that, the scene would change in front of you. And then, you know, different props show up or different notes or billboards and you can read, you know, oh, so so and so person went into room 108. And then Alan's like, oh, I should check out 108. But it's only because you added that plot <laughs> element to that plot scene. It's like a whole thing. And honestly, like it was hard to wrap my mind around this part of the demo because they really do put you in and it's at this point, assuming, you know, you've gotten that far, you're going to have a better grasp of what it is you're supposed to do and how these things work. And there's even another mechanic in there called the angel lamp, which I never really could quite figure out. But that could have been because I had an on-screen glitch. Anyway, it's just a lot. It is a lot. but And it sounds like a lot because it is. But once you actually, I started getting the hang of it and then the demo time was over. So, ah. oh, isn't that yeah. always the way it goes at these things? God, it's it was so, so cool, good. though. And I do want to mention, you know, we're talking about these settings being so creepy in and of themselves. But the hotel that we're uncovering this story in is the Ocean View Hotel, which is not unlike the Ocean View Motel that you see in Control. Hey. Uh, now, I mean, one could say the name is just a coincidence. But it's Remedy Games, so I highly doubt it. Yeah. I highly doubt that the name is a coincidence. So I found that super cool. And also, before you get to the hotel, there's kind of a traversal puzzle to figure out in how to actually enter the hotel because there's doors that lead to nowhere and you need to figure out and kind of decode the clues to even tell you to get to the right way. But some of the mechanics for people who you know, are just jumping into this, some of the mechanics that I thought were interesting to point out are that Alan has the clicker mm -hmm. at this point. And the clicker can hold charges in Alan Wake 2. So you can hold charges and use that to turn lights off and on. Oh, I think um, you're thinking of the angel lamp. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yes. yeah. So well, Saga, Saga's looking for the clicker in her campaign. And then he, I don't know if he has the clicker in his campaign or not, but I think it's the angel lamp you're thinking of that can hold the charges. Okay, perfect. Now, I got the impression that the angel lamp and the clicker may be connected, but maybe uh, that was wrong. So maybe, we'll okay, see. maybe, maybe. Uh. We'll see. So, I mean, you have that. You can take charges. You can change reality around much. I think this is why I was thinking they were connecting much in the same way that the clicker uses light off and on to change mm -hmm. reality. So I thought maybe those two were related. We have that. But then there was also the whole concept of aligning the echo. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. And so you can find these kind of spiritual looking orbs. You know, when you see like ghost hunting documentaries and stuff and we're all trying to find the orbs. You can find these orbs and align the echo in order to uncover clues that will then give you more fodder to use in the writer's room as Alan as you're going through, which was really neat. Those scenes were really cool because once you do line them up, yeah, the whole, it kind of turns into a mini cut scene, but Alan's still, you know, in the same room where he found those orbs, but then you get these shadowy acts of like, you know, certain characters are saying stuff in front of you and they're mentioning other certain characters and it's all playing out just right in front of you. And it's like, oh my God, like... There's also a really cool FMV scene in there of Alan, like, getting fucked up. Trish, I don't know if you saw that one. But that was so good and so funny and so entertaining. And I loved it. And I just love how there's just so much of that in this game. And it really lends itself to the story. And, I mean, I know some folks thought it was maybe weird. I think Quantum Break was the first game that I played where I really experienced this, where you would have the real actors doing cutscenes, you know, and then it would hop right back into the video game itself. But it, it's not weird at all. I think it's a really cool touch. And 
and it really I think allows the story to progress in a way that it wouldn't be able to otherwise. So it's it's really cool what they're doing. I mean, this is incredibly impressive, and I don't know if Remedy has invented their own genre yet, if there's an official name for it, but I feel like they're on their way, because this is just something you don't find anywhere else. I do love the meshing of the live action yeah. uh, with the digital. I think that's super cool, and it actually, to me, it harkens back to, this is going to be a real like deep cut from yesteryear, but back in like the Return to Zork CD-ROM games <laughs> where, I don't know if you remember, but there would be games that did that where you'd get like a live action actor randomly oh, yeah. cut in. So I feel like this is now what Remedy is doing is like the future iteration of what we saw way back in the day. And it blends so well because the games look so realistic now. It's like, whoa. But yeah, I mean, this mm-hmm. is, I cannot tell you how impressed I walked. I, I mean, I walked away so freaking impressed from this demo. I, I had a feeling I was going to dig it anyway based off of what I saw at Summer Game Fest. But actually getting to play it and seeing only a fraction of what the game had to offer, not only because we only got, you know, what's 90 plus 180 minutes <laughs> of this game, but even when I was playing it, like I said, I got distracted. I got, you know, told to get back on track because there was so much I could see and do, not to mention in Saga's mind place and Alan's writing room. There were so many tapes and notes and documents I wanted to read, but I know I didn't have time to do it. So much content. And again, I can't believe this game is going to be $49.99. That is unreal. It's cool. It was really interesting hearing how Remedy as a studio has progressed over the course of the last couple of games that they did. So one of the things that we talked about in the panel with Sam Lake, who is you know the creative director and, and the lead writer on this game, was just how they were able to kind of handcraft not only the gameplay towards these specific characters, but each of the characters towards the actor that plays them. So... On the panel, we got to meet Janina Gavankar's character, um, Agent Estevez. So Janina's a wonderful human being, and it was so great to see her and to hear her announcement and kind of get that official crossover tie between Control and Alan Wake's universes and how these you know characters are going to interact, particularly Agent Estevez and, and Saga Anderson as these two like kind of female officers. And then, of course, you know, you have Sean's character as well, who is this sheriff and he's coming in. I think Tim Parker is his name. So it's like you have like the interplay between all of these people who are from different law enforcement agencies and kind of like the the tug of the power of like who's in charge and who's really investigating what into each sequence, which I thought was really awesome. And then getting to hear from the two actors that make up Alan Wake, both, you know, Matt Peretta and then Ilka uh, Vili, it was so cool because hearing Sam talk specifically about how they had two actors from when Alan Wake originally was made and how they didn't want to just use one actor, even though the way that motion capture and voice actor technology works now is that you can usually use the same actor for both the voice and the physical representation of the character in game. But he was like, these two actors make up Alan. We absolutely wouldn't want to have it any other way. And kind of hearing how they adapted where technology is now to accommodate for that, for both of those actors to be able to still bring, you know, their part of the creation of Alan Wake as a character to this game was really fascinating. It was like such a fun thing to be a part of and to hear about. Yeah, it's it's so cool. The idea that making the performance creative decisions come first 
as opposed to a lot of games where I think we see the development come first and then the performance is not necessarily an afterthought, but you know, you're layering that in. Sam Lake is definitely unique in that he's so performance driven from the get go. And he's also acting in the game. Yeah, yes, he is. <laughs> yeah. It's all meta, man. It's all meta. The more you think about it and remember like what roles he's played and who it's like, what? <laughs> How is this working? I would love to get like a copy of his brain and just like poke at it and be like, how how does something or someone come up with this? It's mind boggling, like legit. It's cool. Oh. And the fact that Janina's character is an FBC agent. Right? Oh. I'm, I'm telling so you. I'm and so it, they gave us just the tiniest little snippet mm-hmm. of her character mm-hmm. to watch during the reveal. But I'm excited to see more about how she how she kind of unfolds and like what her true intentions are. <laughs> Oh God, this it is so cool, and you touched on this earlier. How remedies really come into their own, and Alan Wake came out so long ago, and it was a it was a good game, but I mean it hasn't aged well, and I think it kind of had a little bit of an identity crisis. Is it a horror game? Is it an action game? What is it? But the narrative was just like Chef's Kiss, so out there and cool. And now you know they've had Quantum Break and Control, and they've done other stuff, and now they can really go back to Alan Wake, and I think can give it the vision that maybe what they had originally. And just from what we've seen, it's just so well executed that I think uh, you can't miss this game. Like, if you love survival horror, it's just must not miss. Like, they're doing some really fascinating gameplay stuff here. But all of that said, Andrea, are you going to play this? Or are you like, it looks a little too spooky for me? Okay, so you know that I went out on a limb and did Resident Evil 2 Remake when it came out. Thankfully, Capcom put baby ass baby mode in that game. So, like, when... (laughs) Mr. X was chasing me. I didn't completely pee myself. Sure. Um, <laughs> even though it's still the footsteps haunt me to this day. Um, but that said, I absolutely want to check out this game. Now, I'm going to fully admit I've actually never finished any of Remedy's games. I've started them all, never finished them. And I don't know if it's because I get lost in the narrative or if because the mechanics aren't grabbing me, but my tastes as a gamer have absolutely changed over the years. And I absolutely appreciate more survival horror experiences, more narrative and environmental storytelling, like that kind of slow approach to games. I like a lot more as like a much older adult than just like my fast shooty pew pews, like, you know, shoot all the things as fast as possible. I mean, you guys know who listen to the show. I talk about the power fantasy of video games and how I love that and why survival horror is really hard for me because I play video games to have the power fantasy. (laughs) And that's absolutely the opposite of what a survival horror is trying to do. That said, I love the spooky vibes. I love like how they they're pulling sci-fi like Mysteria in. They're pulling like, you know, like really spooky traditional horror stuff overlapping it with like the dramatic writing bit, right? Mm -hmm. Where you actually get to kind of see the way the scenes unfold. Like that really piques my interest. So yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely going to play. Everything I've seen of this game so far makes it look like it's going to be doing something really unique and innovative, both from gameplay and a story perspective, which means I don't want to miss it. There you go. Andrea, I would tell you, if you have not, I don't know how far you got in control, but if you have not been through the ashtray maze, I would implore you at some point to go there and do that. It is one of my favorite levels ever designed in any game ever. It's so good. Um, And power fantasy control is very much will feed that power fantasy. Yes. And I I loved, I think I spent about 10 or 15 hours with the game. Mm. 
but I wanted to go back. I, I can't remember what else was out around the exact same time. I feel like it was Borderlands 3. Mm, I remember, great. too, the reason I stopped playing is because we had a pre-release copy and mine had a game-breaking issue with it, so I couldn't progress. <gasps> Sometimes that happens when you play games pre-launch. And I think by the time it came, I had moved on to something else. Maybe that was the game. But um, I love yeah. Control. It was really cool. It was, again, a mind fuck. And then, yeah, I couldn't progress and it made me really sad. It was the Division 2. Uh, hey, speak that's of the why, devil. That's, that's why I was busy. <laughs> that, and that's <laughs> why I'm like, Division 2, what? Because <laughs> all I played was Control. But also for the gaming tech nerds out there, Control launched at a time when ray tracing was first starting to be a thing that we could get. Uh, Real-time ray tracing was the first time we could get it as consumers. And Control was one of the best demos of real-time ray tracing technology. Mm. And so I got to play it a lot when I was testing out different systems at the time but even prior to that just any previews I had seen Remedy put out like closed door previews and stuff like that at E3 leading into control I was like ooh, ooh. tell me more about these telekinetic abilities tell me more um, but yes <laughs> highly recommend for anyone who hasn't played control I feel like it's still a little bit of a sleeper hit when it comes to mass commercial success but highly recommend well I watched John almost finish the game but I guess I'm gonna have to go back because I heard Britt and Danny on Gamertag Radio talking about all of the ways that the Remedy Connected Universe kind of weaves together that are going to kind of come to fruition in Alan Wake 2 and obviously beyond whatever Remedy ends up working on after this game. And it makes you want to know the inside secrets. But then it's like, okay, so how much do I have to read? Do I have to watch the Bright Falls episodes? Like, what's, you know, like, how mean, deep do I have to go? Yep. They're so good, though. They're so good. The television Easter eggs are so good in Alan Wake. Yeah. And control games, yep. so good. They are. They're it. really so good in Alan Wake, too. I admittedly spent too much time watching them when I wasn't supposed to, but they were good. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <sighs> yep. <sighs> yep. So yep. much to discover. Yep. Well, thanks again to Epic and Remedy for having us out. It was a really fun experience and a really cool event. We are getting to the end of our time, but Trisha, since you're here, and I know you are nerdy for fantasy narrative the way that I am. I want to ask, have you been watching Wheel of Time season two? No, I have not. I like a dark fantasy oh. uh, mm. where it's a lot of politics and murder and stuff. I don't know what that says about me. But uh, the Wheel of Time series <laughs> is not one that I've been like, oh, I absolutely have to check that out yet. But tell me why you love it. Should I be? Well, for people that are into Wheel of Time and have read the books or watched the first season, like season two, which I tweeted, I was like, this came out of nowhere. I feel like they like stealth launched season two. I didn't see a single piece of marketing for it. And I'm absolutely the target demographic for that show. <laughs> As somebody who loves like the big stuff that Amazon Prime Video has been doing, season two is so much better than season one in a variety of ways. And I'm just very excited about it. I like binged the first six episodes that are available. The last two haven't released yet in a matter of 48 hours because I was that enraptured by everything going on. Nice. And I know that hardcore fans of the Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson series are divided between how the showrunners have been portraying some of the characters because ultimately when you have a 15 book saga you have to make really hard choices for some storylines and characters and you're never going to appease the fan base overall. Like it's, mm -hmm. that's just like, you got to kind of like toss your hands up and go, listen, it's never going to be perfect for every fan. 
But what I think they've done has been really cool. And Amazon just bringing the budget for cool magic uh, representation on screen, lots of cool CG, amazing costumes this year, this season, like some of the different factions in the world represented through the cool costumes that they wear and the set locations. Just, I'm so glad that Amazon has money to spend. Am I (laughs) sad that they're not saving some of that money for the thousands of employees who could use higher wages? Absolutely. But did it make a really cool TV show? Heck yes, it did. Awesome. Well, maybe I'll add that to my next book series that I'm going to read after I finish re-listening to Gary Wood is Gundog. Then I'll, I'll oh, yes. It's on, it's on my list. Mm-hmm. It's on my book table of books I got to read. I keep telling myself I can't do a full reread of The Wheel of Time, that I should just handpick <laughs> a couple books because it is a very, very long series. And I still haven't finished my secret books from Sanderson's Kickstarter. So Ooh. lots to do. Lots. Just no time to do it all. I just finished a good re-listen of the Witcher series. Oh, so good. Ooh, nice. So fun. Love it so much. I but yeah, I, I like I, I love those books. I think they're great. But thank you, ladies, for having me. This has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming on to join us for the show. We should definitely do this more. I would love that. Especially Honestly, when it comes to tech stuff. You're my go-to girl now. Like I, I love the way you speak about it. I'm like, I can understand what she's saying. She talks about guts and chips and, and heat dissipate whatever the fuck word you use i'm like let's go let's go. thank you Trisha. well i try to talk about tech in terms that everyone can understand thank you i've, had a, thank I've you. had a good long career of simplifying tech concepts in video form thank you for <laughs> bless you dear and that's why i love watching your stuff on instagram thank you thank you I try. you have really fun videos like all the cool stuff that you made at ces last year yeah oh ces was so fun yeah, it was, I love CES. I try to go to CES every time, every year. And it, Andrea, it's so good to see you there when you get a chance to go. It's nice. Yeah, it's fun. It's a wild show. And I imagine this year it's going to probably be back to its like pre-pandemic form. Because the last two years, I mean, last year was pretty big. The year before that was like very like anemic. Because mm. I think people were just not quite ready. But I feel like now everyone's like, mm, pandemic shmandemic. Who cares that there's a COVID surge happening and there's a weird new mutation that you should get your booster for, get your shots, everybody. I feel like the world has moved on and, and tech in particular is like, we got lots of stuff. Vegas. Who cares about that chip shortage? Let's go. Vegas is ready to go. And you know what? All of the, all of the chip shortage, GPU shortage, we're beyond that now. In fact, now there's way too many GPUs and you can get smashing deals on all of them. They can't get them off shelves fast enough. So we've, we've gotten to that point. Yay. Okay, yeah, that's it's, great. It's exciting news. I didn't yeah. even know that. So see. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could watch Trisha's stream too where? on um, not only on her Twitch channel, but she she has an Amazon channel where she streams stuff too. Oh, yeah. Amazon Live. I've actually really pivoted to doing live tech reviews because I think that they're more fun than pre-recorded reviews. <laughs> you can make a 40-minute YouTube video where you think you've discussed everything about everything and then someone will ask a question in the comments that you're like, I totally forgot to talk about that one little thing. Whereas when you're doing tech reviews live, if anyone has any questions, you can answer them in real time. True. And I like it being more of an interactive conversation 
conversation going over a product than a like, here's the report that I've written about this product. I don't know. It just, it feels more organic and fun to me to do live tech reviews. So I've been doing a lot of that on Amazon, which is great. Playing a lot of games live over on Twitch, which is really fun. And I have some news to announce. (gasps) Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So I officially have the go ahead. I can talk about this as of today, I think. I have a 12 episode series that I'm going to be co-hosting with Malik Forte, who's lovely and (gasps) wonderful and amazing. Um, Love Malik. Yes. For Amazon on their Crown Channel. And the series is called Pit Crew. Ooh! And we've done little one-off episodes of this show before, but now we're officially launching into a 12-episode series airing every Tuesday, 4 to 6 p.m. in quite a variety of places. I think it's going to be on Twitch, Amazon Live, YouTube, Freebie, a whole, a whole bunch of places. So you'll be able to find it. But yeah, that's news. Congratulations! That's awesome! What is, what is Can you be like a TLDR, you know? Yes, so the TLDR is that we'll take two celebrity or internet celebrity gamers, pit them head to head on whatever game that day's competition is about, and based on the round one finale, we will upgrade one team's tech and downgrade the other team's tech to try to level the playing field. Then they compete in round two, we adjust things again, and then they compete in round three to see who is the ultimate champion in whatever game we're playing that day. So it's a little esports it's a little pc modding and building it's a little going through the peripherals of yesteryear i mean think things like i don't know maybe playing mortal kombat with a guitar hero controller uh you know so wrap your brain around stuff like that why are you making people do that trisha love it why why (laughs) For entertainment purposes. That's okay, why. that's fair. That would be um, entertaining. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's going to be pretty awesome. And I'm pretty excited for some of the surprises that this season will have in store. So, you know, here's to, to 12 episodes. Hell yeah. Congrats. That's freaking Thank awesome. You. Sounds really Thank So you. excited for you. I look forward to uh, torturing some of our internet friends in very funny ways. <laughs> love it <laughs> and i look forward to writing funny comments yeah. about the way that they're being roasted It'll be great. thank you, thank thank you in you. advance well that is really cool and when is that launching this week, October 3rd. Woohoo! October 3rd. October so 3rd. So soon. And then it'll be every Tuesday for 12 weeks starting October 3rd. Hell yeah. Well, fantastic. We'll be sure to put that info in the show notes as well. And I'm sure if you guys follow Trisha on any of her social platforms, she'll be linking that up as soon as that episode goes live. So looking forward to that. And, you know, next time you see Malik, tell him we said, hey, what's up? Haven't seen him in a minute. I will. And um, very exciting news. I feel like we should have started the show with that yeah. news. <laughs> Well, it's it's funny to me because it's been in the works for so long and I was like, when can I talk about it? When can I? And I think I just saw Malik quote tweet the announcement this morning. So I think it's just as of today that we can talk about it. Malik, who's a new parent as well, joining the Nerdy Welcome. Parent Group. Yep. We are Legion. <laughs> All right, everybody. That's going to do it for our episode for this week. Thanks to Trisha for being on the show. And we will be back next week with another episode. See you then, everybody. Bye. Bye. 